Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch, myself, Roland Hume, chats some interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And today we are delighted to have a very special guest with us, Mary Carol Moore, who is a best-selling author, has written 12 books in three genres, and she is here today to talk to us about a subject which I think is going to be really interesting, which is multi-layered scenes. And it's I just watched a bunch of Frasier episodes, and they have these wonderful scenes where you have different characters, and they each have different stories going on within the same scene. So it's something I'm quite excited to hear about. So Mary, thank you very much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Thank you all. This is a great topic. Oh, well, we are delighted to have you. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing well. I'm doing better than you. You've, uh, you're you a little bit sick, so uh, hopefully everyone will uh, will give you some latitude. Lock- fading. <laughs> exactly. I have the Rona. So everyone listening to this, Lysol down your headphones, uh, Lysol <laughs> down your phone afterwards. Um, yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're really excited to have you here, Mary. And, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, I know you've taught writing around the world and, um, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting is that you've written some cookbooks. Uh, you went to a culinary academy and, or, or you wrote them for the culinary academy. Um, I've always, you know, wondered about cookbooks and whether or not, you know, when you put one together, are you sort of like grabbing recipes from other sources or are you like in charge of creating brand new recipes that you're building in a test kitchen or something. I have to do them all. I every book yeah. I did, I had to do them all. I would get inspiration from other writers and other authors in cook in the cookbook field, but part of my contracts was always, you know, these are original and they're, you know, how many times can you talk about how to cook a steak? I don't know, but you know, and so there's going to be some layover from other people, but no, they're original. I'll test. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Like I couldn't, you know, I can't cook without a without a recipe. I can't even imagine, right? But then I guess, as you said, that things are so little. So maybe if you change something from half a cup of sugar to a quarter cup of sugar, well, it's a new recipe. Yeah, it is. well, it changes it. Yeah, definitely yeah. chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, that's just my personal interest. But uh, today we are um, going to be talking about sort of creating complex layered scenes within your story. And this is something that uh, I think you you talk about in uh, when you give your own talks and other sources. So, um, you know a lot about it. Um, first of all, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started and, and sure. what you sort of talk about and all that when you when you well, do your rounds. You started it off. I was a food journalist for uh, a long time, two decades. I started out working in a restaurant, and then I had a cooking school in California for a number of years, and it got some good mentions in USA Today and other big media. And so I got asked to start working with cookbooks, and I did. I've actually done uh, 11 cookbooks, something like that, something outrageous. And then I was asked to be part of the LA Times syndicate. So the LA Times syndicated my cooking column for almost 12 years. But then I decided, you know, if I had to die tomorrow, what would I really like to do with my writing? And that took me to fiction. So I went back to school, got my MFA, and I have three novels now. One's going to be published next spring, and one just came out. So it's been a fun and wild ride being in the fiction world after being in a very, very nonfiction world. Yeah, I imagine that's a that's a big difference. So I guess when you um, 
create complex layer dishes is similar to how you create complex layer scenes, right? <laughs> yes, great analogy. Yes. And actually, that was, one of, that was one of the requirements of some of the books I wrote for the cook, cooking industry was that they had to be gourmet and really complex and like take hours. So there you go. It's interesting. You think about like genre fiction, though. Genre fiction is almost like a recipe. It's like with if you have a small town romance, you've got to have a small town. And then you like sprinkle on your flannel wearing handyman and your big city girls and all of these different things that are essential ingredients for for that particular book and that particular genre to to rise and be and be delicious. It's true. I also think that if you're talking about complex scenes, you have to have the element of surprise. So in cooking also, uh, readers would comment that, oh, this turned out quite differently than I expected. And that was great. And everybody loved it. So the same thing with books. I think you have to have that element that no one really expects. They can anticipate it, but it's not expected in the way that, oh, this is so predictable. So yes, I don't like the cookie cutter approach to writing anyway. I like the more um i'm surprised you know if i'm surprised then the reader's going to be surprised too and that really satisfies me as a reader and i mean i know that your latest book is a thriller um what were the other ones well the one before that was a young adult um kind of romance it's about a young girl who causes an accident with her younger brother one summer on a lake and he goes into a coma and the same summer she falls in love so it's kind of about deserved happiness if you do something terrible, can you be happy? And then this one that just came out is about women pilots. And it's a literary thriller because, um, as my agent told me, I'm not really a thriller writer. I'm more of a women's fiction writer. So I write about relationships more than I write about the, um, the thrill part of thrillers. But there is search and rescue and a plane crash and a bad guy chasing someone who's trying to run from the law. So I guess you've got all the thriller aspects there. That sounds pretty thrillery to me. Yeah, I know. I think people that like thrillers like that aspect. And then there's another group of people that are not as crazy about being with the bad guy in every scene. So they like the the relationship aspect. Right. And then, I mean, because you had mentioned uh, that complex scenes would have an element of surprise. And if you're writing a thriller, I can see why, you know, that would definitely be case but in other genres is that still a requirement so like let's talk through what goes into a, what you mean by a complex scene so that people understand and we're all talking about the same thing yeah well this is my view of course from years of teaching and, and writing myself but everybody will have their own idea of what complex means to me there's a, a couple of ingredients in a complex scene the first thing would be that the plot has some turning points or twists that are not expected it's it's kind of like you can go along the train track a certain way, but then there's going to be an obstacle that maybe you don't ex expect. So that makes it complex versus predictable. And I'd say those are the two opposite extremes. And the second element is character arc. So we've got the plot arc, the character arc, the arc of the characters. I think that complex characters tend to face big questions like moral ambiguity they, they face something more than, oh, can I fall in love or can I win this game or can I kill this person? You know, there's something in deep and in their depths that's more complicated, I guess, more uh, not easily answered. And so I tend to go that way in my own books. I tend to write um, the questions that can't be answered with a straight yes or no, that there is that gray area. And that's that makes complexity in character because you, you end up 
reading the book and you like the character perhaps, but you end up with a question about, well, did they do the right thing or what would happen if they did this? So in my mind, that makes complexity. And then the third element in complex scenes is usually setting, where the setting itself becomes something of a character in, a, in that it influences decisions. I mean, beyond whether there might be terrain that's not necessarily friendly to the protagonist and those kinds of things make it complicated. So I think that the combination of these three elements is what I found to be a little bit of a recipe for complex scenes. So checking all three of those, I do it on a storyboard like filmmakers use. And that way I can kind of verify for myself objectively, how does this work? Is it tracking well and all three elements present and accounted for? Wow. That's uh, that's quite a lot to put into a scene. Uh, so I imagine not every scene has to be complex. No, I wouldn't make them all complex. You know, you have the simple ones too. But I, I think, you know, I'm looking at the whole book sometimes and I'm thinking, okay, of the percentage of scenes, are they complicated enough to drive something forward? You know, do they have a big question at the end or do they wrap things up too much? I think that's what my MFA program did for me is, the idea that I needed to not wrap things up too much. That makes them more complicated. Right. And, and, and so are you sort of aiming for like a certain, you know, amount of complexity? And in, in I mean, you know, the scenes don't necessarily translate to chapters, but I guess, you know, you might have chapters that are, you know, that are sort of lighter, I guess, and some of that are more complex so that sometimes, you know, you don't want to overwhelm the reader and make them, you know, exhausted by the time they get, you know, get through the book, if everything's complex and they're all, you know, their head is spinning by the end of it, right? Right. It's true. But I think for me, I get the most out of, like, I was thinking about literary thrillers, which tend to have a combination of the literary, meaning the relationship of the characters and the thriller aspect, which is, of course, the plot. And I tend to like a little bit of both in each scene so that I'm I'm definitely involved with the characters. That's the biggest compliment I've gotten from readers of Women's Guide to Search and Rescue, which is my current book, that they feel invested in the characters so much that they don't want to let them go at the end. And I've gotten so many requests for sequels now from people that I, you know, I couldn't imagine would like the book in the first place, but they did and they want more. That means to me that the characters were intricate enough to not be answered really quickly. Like they're not just this kind of person and then, you know, they end up this kind of person, but they're kind of, they're struggling inside and they're not completely resolved at the end maybe. So, you know, I agree with you that not all the scenes have to be that way. It's, it's a relief to have a little simple scene, like somebody's hiking in a forest and you don't throw in a lot of stuff there. You're just having them hike, you know, but at the same time, I want to know what's happening inside the person as they're hiking. I don't want them to just be on the plot level, but also I want the character to come forward and reveal something like something they're struggling with. And that makes me interested. You know, at that how might do you be approach that? how do I approach that storyboards? Mostly I do it all on the wall because I can't trust my computer. You know, when I get 300, 400 pages of a story in there, it's just, it becomes like a, a mass. And I can't follow it. But I do the storyboard on the wall with sticky notes, you know, those post-it notes. Oh, I and I rearrange them. Yeah. So a lot of people just save the cat. Or there's lots of methods to organizing a story. But my whole thing would, would be to objectify it, make sure that 
I don't drop anybody and that people are in a scene for a reason and they actually contribute some forward motion. I mean, this is not probably new to your listeners at all, but that's something that a lot of writers that I've taught and coached and edited over the years, they, they lose people <laughs> and they lose the point, the point of the scene. So that's what the storyboards keep me honest. I think it's funny. That's something we keep hearing again and again, the more people we talk to, and especially it seems to be something that the more successful people, that's advice they follow. It's very like a lot of people, myself included, have trouble following that advice, but it does seem very valuable. It's hard, though. You're right. I mean, I think structure is one of the things that people either abhor or they're too involved in, you know, and then too structured is like you lose the art, but too unstructured, you got nothing but art and it's not, you know, nobody can follow it. So it's a useless piece of literature to me. So I, I find, you know, things I've, I've edited, for instance, people who start their actual story in chapter five or six. So the first four chapters are kind of just preamble, getting the writer warmed up. Well, that would be totally apparent on a storyboard. You couldn't hide from it. But within a document on your computer, you can get involved in the words and the prose and how great it is, and then you lose it. So the storyboard really does objectify it, keep it honest. Yeah, we recently had a discussion with an author on here about making that the beginning of your of your story bring the reader and hook them in and not start with a whole bunch of, you know, prose that it's going to lose the person before they really get invested in the story, um, which is also very key. So, you know, I, I think one thing to um, to make sure that people are aware of, and you've, you've been mentioning it sort of offhand, but, you know, the complexity can be both internal and external, yes. right? So I think that at the beginning, we were sort of saying, you know, all these external things, all these external factors are, are coming in, plot twists and obstacles and, and all that. But some of that can be all internal, right? You have your 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 character arc is, is um, you know, they're thinking about whatever's happening or, or they're dealing with something and that might be internal dialogue or process that's going on in their head. And that itself is complexity. Yes. And I, again, can't track that very well um, just by reading it. So I create a storyboard for the character and their evolution through the book. And I start out with, um, you know, basically I use my post-it notes and I write down what's the main question this character has at the beginning of the book about their life. And then at the end of the book, how are they answering that question? Or what's the question that comes from that that they still haven't answered? And then I sometimes after I've created the, the draft, my first draft or second draft, I'll actually write a little sticky for every change point that the character goes through and then track it backwards. So I start with that end point and see if the, the post-it before it, the moment before it in the character's inner life actually earns out that next one and so forth. You know, So you're going backwards through the book to try to see if this character tracks. Boy, I've caught so many of my mistakes that way where the character has That's something going on. It's just... <laughs> So yeah. you'll arrange, instead of having a plan for the whole thing, you'll have a plan for each individual. That's yes. a really interesting, and that makes a lot of sense because then the interplay between them, you mm -hmm. kind of have to scan over that. Whereas if you're doing something overall for the whole project, it must be very easy to miss those out. It's totally easy. And I've done it myself. I've seen so many of my students do it. So I thought, 
there's got to be a better way. And this is where I came up with just break them into individual narrators or individual people, even if they're not a narrator, and see if I can track them through the book. So I I don't know. It might not work for everybody. I'm I'm pretty, you know, obsessive about these things because I've written and published a lot. And I just really feel like I want to make it work for the reader. I don't want them to have to struggle to figure out what this person's doing in the story and what they're going for. And, you know, where are they? Why are they in this scene? You know, so everything has to make sense. And this is how I do it. Right. So how many, like, you can't do that for, for absolutely everybody who's involved no. in it, surely. But so how do you differentiate between who needs their own individual sort of plan and who, who yeah. could just go along for the ride? Well, that's a really good question. I usually have no more than seven. I know this is going to knock some people over, but I have no more than seven people that I do this for because I figure that the reader can't track more than seven people, invest in several, more than seven people. So I do it for my main characters. I have three narrators, meaning they all have point of view chapters in this new book that I've just published. And so I have one, two, three, and then I'll have the um, main kind of satellite people right around them. And so I end up with about six or seven people that I'll track and not all of them have complicated stories. So they're, they're kind of supporting cast, but some of them are really important and they reveal things. They have a secret that they reveal like in the last part of the book. And so I have to kind of make sure that that secret is planted in the earlier chapters so that when it's revealed, it's not like a, wait a minute, where did this come from for the reader? So I, I don't think seven, I think seven's the max I'll ever do. I think that's a good writing. I mean, you think of like um, Friends has six characters. How I Met Your Mother has six characters. Frasier has like five characters. Like that number of, of characters is a good manageable one to actually get invested in across, mm-hmm. a, across a story. Yeah, you can't do, I, I don't believe a reader can do more than that. And I've been kind of trying to track this for years. You know, some some books like Lauren Groff, Groff is a really popular writer in the in the states and she of course is um she's got like crowds of people but i find that i'm tracking just a certain number i'm not going for everybody because i can't as a reader yeah and i mean even as a writer i don't know how so for example george R. R. martin you know game of thrones every reader in there is a complex reader with a massive arc and there's so many of them and then you and i don't know how he keeps track of it never mind I mean, maybe that's why it's taken him 10 years and so but another book but um but like personally as a reader it is difficult to to say okay you know now we're back to talking about this person what was their deal again you know it's it's and especially because you know it could be like many many chapters since you even talked about them maybe even a book you know and then they come back in and then you're like oh who is he related to and exactly exactly and so it's hard and i i'm not a george i'm not a martin kind of writer so i don't have that kind of saga but i still have complexity because i got three main characters and they alternate chapters and so i have to make sure that the thing that they were doing in the chapter that they showed up before is going to carry over and that they influence the chapters in between so people don't forget about them. And you know, it's hard. It's hard. I don't know it's that so, complicated scenes are, are for everybody. It's so satisfying when a writer pulls it off, though. I mean, it's going to sound like a stupid example. I know you write literary books with thriller beds. I watched uh, Zack Snyder's cut of Batman or oh, the Justice League or something, but they managed to make the airplane have a character arc in that special one. And I was like, that's amazing. And I found that really satisfying. It's so interesting talking to you and listening to, to how you have 
arcs and changes for all your characters. And I think when you read a book where even a character on the periphery, who maybe is like not the focus of it, still manages to go through character growth, that to me like defines a well-written book. Yeah, I feel like that's a marker for me. If I can get to that point, then I'm satisfied and I'm ready to send it on to my agent or whoever. And I really feel like there's a moment where I think I got it and then I haven't done that last check. And then I'll go ahead and do that last check, that verification and find the holes. Stupid stuff. Like uh, I dropped one of, in my first book, I dropped one of the minor characters who was the hopeful boyfriend of the main character. I just dropped him. And my agent said, well, wait a minute, there, this guy, just Chad just disappears. What happened to him? So that's the kind of thing I've learned the hard way as a writer. You know, I don't want Chad to disappear. He's in, people invested in him and then all of a sudden he's gone. So that's great yeah. advice as well. And Roland has his classic example of, of doing that in his uh, in his series where he uh, he changed the, uh, the the main character, didn't have a brother, then he did have a brother. What was it? Oh, so yeah, my first book in my series, I came up with a wonderful bad guy who ended up being there for all 12 books in the series. And he had a really evil brother who was delicious to write in the first book. And then I, book nine, I went to revisit and I realized I, every other book I'd called him an only child. So I was like, what am I? So you need to, I was able to like uh, retcon it effectively with through some some unreliable narration. But I mean, that's basic stuff and readers do pick up on it and sometimes i think as a writer especially when you start off in self-publishing it's very easy to think oh well because you might not think of yourself as like a george rr R. martin or stephen king or something but actually the people who take the time to invest in reading your book do care and they do get invested in these characters you have a responsibility as a writer to to do the best you can to make everything come together effectively and and the way you describe it that just shows like that I'm getting a lot out of listening to you that I will in turn add to my own writing process. I also have a YouTube channel where I teach all this stuff. So if anybody's interested, they can just Google me and get the YouTube channel. And there's all, there's like four videos or something about how to do the storyboarding stuff. I've taught it for so long, you know, it's, it's, it's just so ingrained in who I am as a writer, but I know not everybody has the patience to do it this way. They like the flow, right? The flow writing and, the joy of that is so fun. Well, okay, so we talk about like plotters and pantsers all the time, and I, you know, obviously, it sounds like you're far more of a plotter, right? But um, you know, a lot of the times when we talk about that, we talk about the idea of plotting out the novel uh, itself. So you know, in chapter one, this is going to happen. Chapter two, this can happen, right? But uh, from what you're describing, it, you're almost like charting out sort of what the arc of the story is, then what the arc of this character is, then what the arc of that character is, and so on. And then you somehow blend that all together. Are you plotting out, you know, chapter by chapter or scene by scene, or do you just plot out those arcs and then sort of pants it from there, knowing all that information? Yeah, yeah, totally. I can't stand it after a while. So what I do is the, the initial brainstorming for the book I'll do on a storyboard and then I'll, I'll create all these ideas and put them on the wall and get all the sticky notes together and see how it works. Then I sit down and I start to draft and it's kind of like a NaNoWriMo experience. I just go for it and I write the worst stuff in the world and I get it all out there, you know, sometimes 60, 70,000 words of really drivel 
And then I'll go back to the storyboard and see, do I, am I still writing the same book? First of all, could be completely different. If I like the new version, then I'll go back to the storyboard and redo the storyboard, or I'll go back to the draft and redo the draft. And I try to make them as matched as possible. And then I, you know, I go back and forth between the two. So I think I'm half and half, you know, because I can't not do the pantser stuff. That's the fun. And the, <laughs> the plotting, I mean, I, I'm not an outliner. I have to do it by storyboard because then I can move stuff around. I found with outlines, it kind of got solid in the computer, you know. This has to come after this. And it, it just didn't work for me. I'm too much of an intuitive writer to go for that. So half and half, I think, Craig. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I think that that is a good, um, a good way to do it. Because sometimes, even as a, a more of a plotter myself, I do end up changing things. And then it's like, OK, now do I go back to my my plan and so and then re-edit that or whatever but but i still feel like i need the direction i don't want to i don't want to paint myself into a corner so to speak right whereas i think that that would happen if i was just bare pants again i was like oh just start writing right and then i'm gonna be like okay first of all forget half the things i did but but then by the end i'll be like okay where am i going with this and what you know what's the ending or 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 now I can't do the ending I thought I was going to do because I didn't do, you know. So I think that the idea of having all those arcs, they can guide you to pants without right. having to worry about um, sort of putting yourself in a position that you can't get out of or that you're going to have to rewrite everything to get out of. Because so the, pan the pantsing brings in an element that I don't think I can get from the plotting there's this intuitive element where I'm surprised again by the story, like I said earlier, and I only get that when I'm actually doing the flow writing and going places I wouldn't necessarily go that aren't on my map. And I find something there. And if I can find something valuable, I can bring it back into the plot. But that, that kind of sidetrack is so fun and so important in my writing process. I really need to do that because that's the inner side of the character that gets developed usually during that pantsing part. I, it, it's you know you keep mentioning the word flow and that's that's absolutely true i think scientists said like the only time all five of those chemicals like serotonin and oxycontin and uh, uh dopamine and stuff the only time they all get released is when you're in the flow state yeah. and that's why it is it's like i don't know i always say it's like talking to god on the telephone or something or receiving a radio signal and there is so much that you find out about these characters that you've mm -hmm. created that you wouldn't have done if you just tried to plot it out it's it's bizarre. It's, sometimes you read back what you've written after going through a flow state for a while and you're like, wow, this is good. Who wrote this? I can't have written this. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm reading some of my older stuff going, really? Wow, I wrote this? This is so cool. So, you know, it's, it's almost like an out-of-body experience for me, but I really need it to balance out the superstructure. I think both of them are important, so... Yeah, no, for sure they are. But um, you know, it, I think it, being able to combine all that stuff as you pants is probably the the skill that you have from from doing it for a long time that other people might um, have trouble with, right? So it's you, you're arcing out all, all that stuff, and you're not plotting it out. So then you go to start writing and then you want to create the, that complex scene. So now you're sort of having to refer to oh, five or six different storyboards almost to, to sort of pull them all together, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's complicated. It's not for everybody, but it does make me work better. And I think I can 
produce a, sec- a successful novel that way. You know, maybe it's my recipe training. You know, I like the the whole uh, listing stuff that's going to be in on the in the ta- on on the recipe in the recipe. I have everything measured out on the table and put it together. That's that's how chefs do recipes. You know, they have the mise en scène, which is basically all the little bowls and stuff of the chopped garlic and they all put it together at the cooking point and that's kind of what I'm doing I think I never thought of it that way until this this discussion right yeah and I mean I think that that's you know a skill that that people might have to figure out for themselves it might not always work exactly the same way if they don't have you know chef experience (laughs) but um do you have any sort of tips on how they can sort of pull all that complexity together into a scene and and not have it sort of unravel fall apart or well you have to be willing to back away from the scene and and give it some distance maybe set it aside for a week or so and give it a little bit of breathing room and then you come back to it and you see it differently i think the other way i find uh, those errors is to read it out loud. I know lots and lots of writers who do this and the auditory comprehension versus the visual is so different. So you're reading it for not only the pacing and the flow and the rhythm of the scene, but you're also reading it for, oh my God, I forgot this part or, oh my God, I dropped in something that wasn't set up. So I, I think, you know, backing away, giving it a little rest and then reading it out loud is the the things I usually do to catch myself if I'm not storyboarding. Storyboarding for me is the is the best method I've used, but those two also work really well. And then if you're, um, when you're doing your storyboarding, if you're, so you're, you have, I guess, all those sticky notes and as you sort of use them, are you sort of, you know, pulling them down or, mm-hmm. or so that you know, okay, I've done that and, you know, sort of putting them aside? Yeah. yeah. Like, where should this fight scene be? Well, I originally have it in the beginning. Or like in my current novel, the ones just got published, I had a plane crash, right? The protagonist crashes her little plane. And I had that in chapter five. And I I thought, what am I waiting for? Why not just start with this? So I moved my sticky from chapter five to chapter one. And I thought, well, what if I started with the plane crash? What would have to happen after that? It all fell, fell together. And I hadn't needed those four chapters. Like I said, those are my warm-up chapters. So that's the kind of thing I discover. Yeah. That's fascinating. I remember writing a book and like cutting out the first 15,000 words because of exactly the same thing. It's like you're building yourself up, but you realize readers let you go. And what an opening, a plane crash as an opening of a book. What an exciting way to do it. Oh, I'm telling you, the response I've gotten has been fabulous. So I don't know anything about flying, right? My mom was a pilot. So I I was inspired to write a book about women pilots, but I had to go and research this. And this is one other thing I wanted to add in about complex scenes. Usually, if possible, the writer will be challenged by the material and have to go learn something. So I had to learn about search and rescue, ground operations and flying for this book. And it it was fabulous because my freshness about the topic, I think, infused the book with some freshness. So if you're writing about something you know really well and you've written about it a hundred times, it may not come across as complex because you're not going to, I don't know, you're not going to approach the material as freshly as I had to with this uh, the plane crash. I've never crashed a plane, you know, who would want to, to <laughs> research a book? So well, that's, that quite, that's quite a lot of research. Just, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I took flying lessons. I did that, but I didn't, didn't crash a plane. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, so when you look at these scenes, like you're saying, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell from your own perspective. Are you using uh, beta readers or something like that yeah. to sort of give you some feedback on that? Oh, yeah. I have a crew, a poor beleaguered crew. They get every book. Um, my writer's group, I have five, pe five people that I ask usually to beta read for me. And um, they're honest. And they're not related to me, which is a really good thing because I found a really yes, people related important. to me. <laughs> Forget it. Um, so I, I do have really good readers. And they tell me early on in the process, uh, when, I've, when I've gotten to the point where I'm sick of it and I can't think of anything more to do and I've done all my double checks as best I can, then I give it to my beta readers and then I get a whole slew of stuff to correct and, you know, refine, which is so important. I think beta readers are wonderful, overworked people <laughs> and that, that's actually a really good segue into the the question of right you have plotted out your book you've written your book and then you've revised it and edited it when you get those feedbacks and you go back and have to reject how does that impact the complexity of the scenes you've created oh it always brings in more um oftentimes beta readers catch me on timing so the timeline is off in some way like three weeks happened and then two weeks happened and you know so they make me do things like plot out the timeline and then they'll catch things like you know the evil brother in your example Roland um you know the color of the car fiat that's red in one chapter and a blue Chevy in another so they catch all all these things that continuity, I've missed yeah. you know continuity and I feel like without their eyes on it I would miss all that stuff even though I've read it to myself I've done my wall storyboard it's just you get blind to your own stuff I had a beta yeah. reader who pointed out that my my heroine in one of my romance stories had removed her panties twice. <laughs> well, maybe she had two pairs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know, you sometimes have to. I think we've talked about this with some other authors, where you know you almost have to create as like a character sheet for everybody so that you can keep track of their hair color and their eye color and their, you know, all, whether they have brothers and sisters and all that stuff. And especially if you're writing a series, you know, from one book to another it could be a long period of time before you revisit it and you're not necessarily going to remember all that stuff. Right. But if you've kept it all in these character sheets, it's just, you don't have to go back and read the book again to say, okay, what color were their eyes? You can just, you know, refer to that and, and have all that information there. So I think that's, that's probably pretty useful for this kind of thing as well. I think a master sheet of information about all your characters and about your plot and your setting I draw a map of my setting. I know this is going to be over the top for a lot of people. I draw a map of my setting and then an interior map of the main building that the story takes place in. And I've caught myself so many times about, you know, having them be eating in the dining room at this end of the house with the sun coming in. I mean, a, a beta reader once caught me walking. The character was walking outside as the moon was rising. And this beta reader actually went to the almanac charted that day in history and found out what time the moon rose and it was wrong so i had to go in and change i mean you know who would care but they did, <laughs> they did. that is that's yeah. quite flattering that they would pay that much attention to it i suppose <laughs> yeah you're beta is the next level <laughs> yeah they're really great i won't trade them for anything they're wonderful <laughs> um yeah i mean okay so that sort of thing, I, I think in different genres too, there's different levels of, of what you want to pay attention to. And, um, you know, sometimes if you're writing, you know, a thriller or a mystery, I think 
having a lot of those details are you know a lot more important than if you're writing say a, a romance or you know something that you know those kind of details aren't usually as important um but you still want to have the complexity uh, in other things especially character you know and, and that's one of the big things with romance often there's that sort of the two the conflict between the two causing the breakup and then the internal conflict making them change become a better person etc etc right <laughs> but but they don't necessarily have as many plane clap crashes and uh, and other external uh, things so yeah i think you know what people take from this i think is is dependent on sort of the genre that they're writing and the kind of book that they're writing but that but there's always going to be a place to create the complex scenes and that adds a lot of depth to a book and it's something that no matter what genre you're writing in it's not something you want to ignore right because if it's all just flat and you know non or if it's not unique and everything's sort of like formulaic it's not going to be memorable nobody's going to come back for for book two or for the next book that you write um, so, you know, it's it's so important to do all these things. It is. And I think one of the big compliments you get as an author that you guys probably got is people recommending your book to others. And so they won't do that. You know, they don't do that. Their recommendations on the line. They're not going to do that if there's if you structure or the characters aren't engaging or they don't change enough or something like that. So I think. You know, you're, we're doing it for our readers. We're doing it for our own satisfaction, but we're doing it for our readers. I want to be proud of my books 10 years from now. That's my big goal. Absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, that's one of the biggest ways that, that books um, take off and become hits is when they're recommended mm -hmm. uh, to people by their friends and family, right? If nobody exactly. talks about your book, you, you're going to spend a lot of money on marketing and you're always going to be, uh, every reader you get is from that marketing because it's not going to ever go viral. Nobody else is going to pick it up and be like, Hey, read this. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. Um, so when you, are you good? So you'd mentioned the, that people were asking for a sequel. Are you going to write a sequel to this one? I have an idea. I've yeah. actually outlined it and my agent was said, this would be great. Do it. But you know what you, Maybe you don't have this, but when I publish a book, I have this kind of relaxation period. I need afterwards a little rest after all the marketing. And I have yeah. another one coming out in spring, which was written in tandem with the one that's out now. So two, two right in a row is a big deal. I think I'll, I'll pause a little after that. And yes, I'm going to, I'm probably going to explore it. So many people have asked. I thought, well, gosh, there's an audience out there for the, for the next idea. So. And I guess one of the things is like, so if you've, especially if you're not planning to write a sequel when you first write the book, right? Yeah. And you've created all these, these arcs for all these characters and now, and they've, and they've changed and they've met their goals. And then you want to go back and write another book with a lot of those same characters. You have to almost now come up with these new arcs, new changes that they have to, to go through, right? Which yeah. is probably what harder. Well, that's why I said, I think I said earlier that I like to leave things unresolved in some way. I like to wrap up the plot so that's satisfying for the reader, but leave the character's inner life a little unresolved, like they still have stuff that they're not completely 100% about. And I know that it, certain genres won't fit this, like romance probably wouldn't fit this, but 
in my in literary thrillers, there's still the idea that the characters, yes, they've survived this crazy thing that you know, and the and the killer is caught and all that stuff, but they still have some things that they're not resolved about, and so that creates the next book if I need if I want to do it. I, I'm I'm convinced after these interviews I've been doing, I don't know, maybe most people are asking me about a sequel, and I'm seriously considering it now. So I'll blame it all on you guys. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Yeah, right? really. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, listen, I, I think that that's the kind of thing that, you know, it, it, if you're writing a book to be part of a series, you're sort of taking that chance that people will love the, the first book enough to want to even read it. And you've sort of committed yourself often because you do leave certain things unresolved. And then if nobody wants to read the book, then you're kind of like, well, do I write book two and, right. you know, close off those loose ends? But, um, you know, when you're, when you're not necessarily planning it, then I guess, and people are asking for it then, you know. That's, that's good, huh? Time. That's good. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I write that on my resume. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can put the the uh, the long awaited and and asked for follow up <laughs> to uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so we're ne- we're approaching the, the top of the hour, but I was going to ask you as a sort of a wrap up question. You've written twelve books and you've done very you've been very successful with them. How has your evolution as a writer and specifically this whole idea of plotting out, you know, the character arcs and stuff? How has that developed from the first book you wrote? to the the most recent book you wrote and the book you're hopefully you'll write as a sequel that's a great question um the most important thing i've learned is to take my time because the earlier books were all on deadline they were you know contracted out and i felt like um i needed to take as long as it took with this one and i i'm not ashamed to say this one took 10 years so i guess i fall into the george R. R. martin category <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, I needed that much time to develop the complexity of this plot and research plane crashes and search and rescue operations and really get good at at that. And I wanted to make sure that those characters were trackable. And that's the thing I didn't have in the beginning. So I've, I've developed patience with my own writing process and not angsting over the fact that I'm not making some artificial deadline. So I'm I'm really glad. I'm very proud of it. And I'm very happy that readers are loving it. So that's the thing I want. I wanted that more than anything, you know, that feeling of success via the reader feedback. I think that's what we're all chasing, isn't it? Yes, I think so. I think we're, we're into that. Well, we are have pretty much approached the top of the hours, but thank you so much for joining us. I personally have found so much value in listening to you, and there's a lot that I'm going to take to my own writing, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, how can people find out more about you, more about your books, and things like that? Where can they go? My website, marycaramore.com, two R's, two L's, and two O's. That's the main place to go. We'll pop a link down to that down below, but where else? Oh, good. Excellent. So um, I'm on all the online booksellers, you know, bookshop.org, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, every place like that. I also have a sub stack that I write every week. It's free, and it's uh, been going on for 20-some years, and I have lots and lots of followers around the world. The... the, uh, URL for that would be uh, marycaramore.substack.com, and it's called Your Weekly Writing Exercise. So I give these kinds of tips that I shared today. Every week I do an article about some tip that I'm using and interview different writers. So that would be something that your, your listeners might enjoy.
That is wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining yeah. us, Richard. Do you have any final thoughts, Craig? Uh, well, like you, I, Roland, I, I've really taken a lot from this. I think I like the idea of, of creating those arcs um, to sort of do the plotting part of it without sort of plotting every individual sort of chapter and scene. And that might be something I want to try myself. So uh, so thanks for, for suggesting that. Um, but yeah, uh, I think there's a lot for everyone here. So, um, you know, I want to thank you again for coming on and giving us yeah. your time and talking to us. It was fun. You guys ask great questions. Oh, well, if you've enjoyed what Mary had to say, make sure you go down to the comment section, leave a comment so to let her know that you valued everything she shared with us today. While you're down there, don't uh, don't forget to hit that like button, that subscribe button. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. So until then, cheerio.